thank you for downloading this episode of the Emirates Natural History Group podcast. Throughout this series, we will be sharing recordings of our lectures from regional experts about nature, history and adventure. If you're not familiar with our organisation, we're a non-profit group led entirely by volunteers and we're all on a quest to help the community study and appreciate the fascinating and unique natural and human heritage of the UAE and the wider region. My name is Arabella Willing and I'm the chair of the Abu Dhabi chapter. Together we organise lectures, field trips, we publish a journal and distribute awards and grants. The group has been going for a staggering 40 years and to start this podcast series off we have a conversation with Peter Hellier, an ex-chairman and life member of the group. He shares memories, anecdotes and tales of discovery from many years of involvement with the ENHG. Peter is something of an Abu Dhabi treasure, a writer, historian and environmentalist. He's particularly well known for his work in archaeology and bird records. In recognition of his contribution to the knowledge of the UAE's heritage and natural history, Peter was given UAE citizenship by the president in 2010. Peter, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Let's start at the beginning. You arrived in Abu Dhabi in 1975 and the Emirates Natural History Group was formed officially a couple of years later. Could you tell us a little bit about what the country was like at that time? I first came in 75 because I was making documentary films for the late Sheikh Zayed, travelling on overseas state visits with him, which was really quite fun. Uh, but when I came, I, I didn't get involved in the group when it, when it was founded. I knew most of its founders, like former ambassador Anthony Harris, David and Frauke Heard were founder members. Uh, Mohan Jashaman, I think, was a founder member. Um, and the story about how the group was started uh, was quite well told by Tony Harris in, in The National uh, yesterday morning, which was that you know, he was the deputy head of the embassy, British embassy. He was called head of chancery. And uh, he knew of various people that were coming through. It was a small town. Some scientists came through who were interested in, uh, in dugongs. Uh, so Tony and his wife went down to the souk and they, uh, they bought some dugong heads because you could still buy dugongs in the souk until the late 70s. I remember myself seeing them. And Tony buried them, hoping that the uh, ants would you know, clean up the, the skulls and they could be sent back to the scientists in England. And that didn't work, and they eventually got... Uh, buried and you know under some building in in Caladia. but those scientists were invited to come and talk to a group of interested individuals uh, who included Tony Harris, John Stuart Smith, who some of you may have uh, met a couple of years ago when he came back to receive the Sheikh Mubarak Award, uh, Bish Brown, of whom a lot of you will have heard, but. Um, and Bish had been a, a Royal Navy Spitfire pilot in the Second World War uh, and had gone uh, off to uh, Kuwait and worked in Kuwait with the Kuwait Oil Company. Uh, and while he was in Kuwait, he helped to set up the Ahmadi Natural History Group, which was, you know, the ENHG equivalent, if you like, in Kuwait. Uh, and then Bish came down here in the early 70s uh, and worked for ADMA. Uh, where he encountered Rob Weston, another founder member of the group. Um, and th this sort of bunch of people uh, were sort of interested in natural history and wandering about and doing things. 
Tony and Patsy Harris used to wander about looking for plants with somebody else in the embassy called Ian Hamer, who his main thing was collecting ants. Okay? And he used to collect ants and send them back to London. Several new species are called whatever they are, Hameri. Um, so the, this bunch of you know, peculiar Western expats, if you like, in this small town, it was a town, we're now, what, over a million Abu Dhabi and adjacent bits like Khalifa A. Um, then perhaps 250,000 people, 300,000 people. Uh, the island was not all desert. Um, sorry, uh, it was not all built up. Uh, there were still good chunks of desert back near Albertine Airport now, um, where you've got that great area of development, uh, Al Raha Gardens and all that. That was uh, open space. Uh, along the Corniche, there was open space. Uh, to, next to Spinney's, okay, that area was, was open desert between there and the Corniche. Um, so it was a much smaller town. Uh, and there weren't many things to do. We didn't have many hotels. The Sheraton opened in 1979, um, by which time the group was up and running. But before that, there was something called the Beach Hotel in that location that was knocked down, the Alain Palace Hotel and the Hilton, and that was about it. Okay? Um, so you didn't have beach clubs, you didn't have hotels. Uh, there was the club, of course. Okay? The, the, club, the club was here but really not much else for people to do. So this bunch of interested people were sort of wandering about doing things, looking at birds, looking at plants, collecting ants, finding dugong skulls in the souk. Uh, and they came together, invited this, these people to come and talk about dugongs. And at the end of that meeting, they said, right, well, we'd better organize a group, hadn't we? So that was the beginning of the Emerson Naturalistic Group. 40 years ago. Uh, Arabella and I went to see Sheikh Nahyan last week, and we'll talk about how he became patron later on. Talk about the 40th anniversary. Can, you know, what would he let us get away with doing, more, <laughs> more or less? And still, that's work in progress. But he very kindly uh, uh, produced a statement, um, but I thought it would be appropriate if I read out, um, with the chairman's approval, of course, um, the, uh, the full statement from Nahyan, okay, about the anniversary of the group. It is with considerable pleasure that I offer my congratulations to the Emirates Natural History Group as it marks the 40th anniversary of its establishment back in 1977. I have myself been patron of the ENHG for over 30 years. We'll explain about that later on. During that time, I've seen the way in which its Abu Dhabi chapter and younger ones in Alain, Dubai, and Fujairah had devoted time and attention, enthusiasm, and expertise to promoting a wider understanding of the natural history and heritage of the whole of the Emirates. They have done this through their regular public meetings, through dedicated fieldwork and research, and through their publications. While many of the ENHG's active members have made a substantial contribution over many years, to our knowledge of our environment and all that it contains. In so doing, group members have played an important part in promoting the philosophy of environmental conservation that now forms a key element of government policies and practices. Over the years, for example, ENHG members have played an instrumental role 
in drawing attention to the need to protect Abu Dhabi's eastern mangroves and the Al-Wathwa wetland reserve. It was during an ENHD visit to Sir Banias in 1991 that the first evidence was identified of the pre-Islamic Christian monastery that is today one of our most important archaeological sites. The late Sheikh Zayed once said that we cherish our environment because it is an integral part of our country, our history and our heritage. He believed that in the process of protecting it, there was a role for individuals and non-governmental organizations as well as for government. Over the years and with considerable success, the ENHG has followed the path that he laid down. I wish the group well and look forward to being associated with it for many years to come. So that is the challenge, right? That's what we've got to, got to carry on doing, what we've been doing, and, and make it better for the next 40 years. Why was there a need for the group? Were there not any other similar organisations? No, there were, you see, we didn't have the Environment Agency. There wasn't a concern about the environment. Development was getting underway, but it only really got going you know, really dramatically in 1974 uh, after the October War and the increase in oil prices that followed. And I remember, if I can divert slightly, that in 1975 or 76, I was down here making a film, and in, I think it's now called Al Zahia, but what I, I still call the Tourist Club. Okay? And I went onto the top of a building with my camera crew and saw all the cranes. And we started like this, and we did 180 degrees, counted over 100 tower cranes, and then we stopped. We didn't do the other 180 degrees. So that was, you know, the incredible boom in building. Um, but you see, the government was still very young. The country was very young. Uh, education had not yet reached all the Emiratis. Population was small. Didn't have environment agencies. There, uh, and a lot of the ideas of how the country could develop, uh, whether in terms of healthcare, uh, in terms of business, or in terms of natural history, came from the expatriate community. Yeah. So, no, there wasn't anything else. Uh, there were a few records that had been made by bird watchers who'd visited here doing other things as part of their normal jobs, uh, dating back over the previous few years. John Stuart Smith, one of our founders, um, was a very keen bird watcher, but John was uh, a pilot for the Abu Dhabi Defence Force. Okay? Uh, Bish was a, a store, store supervisor for ADMA. Uh, Rob Weston used to teach English uh, for ADMA. Okay? Uh, there wasn't anything else. So the early philosophy of the group that Bish and Rob pushed very hard, which was record it. Don't just look at it, record it. Talk about it, write it down, okay? Um, and now, when we look at the uh, list of plants of the UAE, the bird checklist of the UAE, uh, the database of mammals, um, a lot of the material that underpins the databases of the Environment Agency, for example, that early material was collected by group members and recorded by group members. And all that early data from the 70s and early, early 80s, had it not been for the group helping to collect and to record and to write down all this data, we wouldn't have it. Okay? So now we're moving into, or well, we have moved, uh, the Environment Agency is 20 years old now. Uh, we've moved into 
uh, a situation where government is more organized. There are formal government institutions. There are universities that teach environmental subjects. But there wasn't a university when the group started, okay? Secondary school, as far as it went, okay? Um, so we, the group, early members, laid the foundations for the study of natural history in the Emirates, uh, and also archaeology, um, to, to a lesser extent. Um, and had that work not been done, uh, a lot of knowledge that we can now benefit from would never have been recorded. And then we wouldn't have been able to understand the changes that have taken place either. So the, we helped. We were there. We're in there. We, the group, I wasn't involved a little bit later. We, the group, were in there at the beginning. So the work, the activity, the uh, enthusiasms of the group in going out and recording um, wasn't understood at the beginning. It became understood, and the value of what the group has been doing became understood. And were there any favourite places that you used to visit as a group which have since become completely unrecognisable? All of them. All of them. <laughs> um, well, you know, there used to be some lovely birding spots on Abu Dhabi Island. Um, and there still are, but they're rather different spots, evening charts. Um, the Eastern Lagoon has changed. Uh, you used to be able to walk across. Okay, before they dredged, the t there was always a channel part of the way down, but you could walk across not far from the beach palace and go into the mangroves. Um, and then they eventually dredged all the way through, uh, partly for security, partly for God knows what reason. Um, but can I divert and explain how a trip into the mangroves uh, led to their preservation? You know, this is after Nahian became our patron. Shall I say how he became our patron? There are two stories, and I think they're probably both accurate. One is, I was driving up the road to Alain with him, with two colleagues of his, and I said, we've got this group, will you become patron? He said, yes. Uh, and that's fine. I know that happened because I, I was there. Um, the other story, which I think is also true, is that Nick Benge, who for a long time was our uh, honorary auditor for the group, uh, also did some auditing for Nahian. And one day, Nick said to Nahian, we've got this group, would you like to be patron? And Nahian said, yes. So having been asked by two of us at more or less the same time and having said yes to both of us, he wasn't really able to wriggle out of it, so he's been our patron ever since. Um, but one day we were chattering, um, and I was sort of, for some reason, the subject came up of, I'd, I'd been wandering across into, into the mangroves, the subject came up of honeybees. And I said, oh, I saw uh, the honeybees over there, as well as, you know, cattle egrets and Western reef heron. And this must have been on a Thursday, sort of just before dusk, I sort of popped round to see him, as, as one could in those days. It's a long time ago. And uh, he said, ah, oh, OK. And I got a call a bit later. I told Sheikh Zayed about the honeybees. He wants a picture. <laughs> Meet me tomorrow before prayers on the Corniche, which had by then been uh, built all the way along, but they hadn't finished excavating. 
So we met there, and Nahyam was in his kanduha, and he told some of his staff to bring over a, a very small boat, and we clambered down and rowed across. Um, and uh, no, they, so they had dug it all the way through, and then we proceeded to splodge through the mud. And I don't know how many of you have walked in that kind of mangrove at low tide, but you know it can get, get up to here, and it's it's a bit glutinous, and you get this. Foul-smelling black. I mean, Dick, Dick will know what it's called, but the mud that's underneath coming up, the anoxic, whatever. And we couldn't find any bloody bees. <laughs> and Nahian said, well, it's coming up to prayer time. I'm, I'm going back. Keep looking. <laughs> so I wondered about, thank God. I mean, I, I found Western reef heron nests and palm dove nests. And thank God I found a, picture, uh, a honeycomb, and I took a picture. And this was in the days before electronic cameras. So, and it was fairly, you know, it was fairly mid of the year, so it was vaguely warm as well. And I'd had enough, so I thought, right, go back and um, manage to, you know, he'd left a boatman behind, so I was able to get back off the thing. Came home, changed, showered, well, showered first, then changed. No, wait a minute, whichever way around it was. <laughs> rushed down to the camera shop and said, please, hurry, 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 you've got it. And fortunately, the pictures came out. They weren't very impressive pictures. It wasn't a very impressive honeycomb. It was only about that size. Uh, dropped them around at the majlis, and uh, Nahian took them to Sheikh Zayed that night. And the next morning, he called me and said, it has been declared a nature reserve. The, the eastern lagoon mangroves are now protected. Great. You know, we've contributed to protecting something useful. And everyone was given instructions, you know, not to be disturbed. This is before you could go in, in the kayaks and so on, right? Long time before. And the only problem was that the bird watchers rather liked to sort of go along the eastern lagoon and put up the telescope, and at low tide you look across and you see the birds on the mud, and I used to count the cattle egrets coming to roost and all this kind of thing. And the police used to come along and say, Mamnoa. Mamnoa what? Mamnoa. Why? Mamnoa. Looking at the birds. I think they had been told that it was protected area because Sheikh Zayed's beach palace was nearby, not because of the wildlife in the mangroves and the mud. So one day, an uh, absolutely nutty birder, a really, an absolute fanatic who I would find wandering around in woods at 11 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I was a newspaper editor. I worked at night, but he was supposed to, he was an ambassador, he was supposed to be in the office, okay? This is the former Dutch ambassador, Willem Dolleman, who a number of us remember with affection. And Willem was sort of, Lagoon one day, sort of looking. Policeman came along. Mum, Noah. So, oh wait, stop. Mum said, No. Why? Mum, Noah. So Mum said, I'm not moving. I will arrest you. Mum said, Fine, arrest me. I'm an ambassador. Fine, you're arrested. <laughs> Drags Mum off to the police. Well, Mum, you know, with a bit of a smile on his face that allows himself to be taken off to the uh, uh, police station. 
And, you know, the, the guy who'd arrested him, he didn't have many pips, okay, or much in the way of chevrons on his arm. He was a, a really, you know, bottom, bottom of the pile, okay. He hadn't even become a lieutenant corporal. So he proudly wanted to say, I arrested this man. And so William sort of goes up to the lieutenant, and the lieutenant says, what were you doing? I was looking at birds. And the policeman told me that I shouldn't, but you know, I'm looking at birds. And it's a bird whistle. And so the lieutenant said, well, you've been arrested now. Can I see your ID? Out comes you know, His Excellency, the ambassador. From <gasps> uh, sorry, Your Highness. Uh, sorry, Your Excellency. Um, uh, big mistake, big mistake. Please go away. And a few weeks <laughs> Willem went away and went, went back to birding. And we never had any more problems with the police after that. But a few weeks later, he was a, an official banquet for some visiting head of state. Um, and he was sitting next to Sheikh Tatnoon bin Muhammad, who's uh, now, who's the ruler's representative in Alain. And Sheikh Tatnoon said, I hear you got arrested the other day for looking at birds. Uh, yeah. Come and look at birds in Alain any time you like, and I promise not to arrest you. <laughs> you briefly mentioned Sheikh Zaid there, I'd love to hear more about his involvement, if there are any other tales. Back in 91, I think it was, when Sheikh Zayed occasionally used to allow people, groups of people, to go and stay on Sir Banias, a private island. Uh, he gave permission for a group from the Natural History Group to go. Uh, and then, yes, Carolyn Lehman from the Dubai Group, who was one of them, and while I was wandering about looking for birds, with Jenny Hollingworth, a great birder, Lindy Graham, a great birder, all sorts of people. Carolyn from Dubai was wandering around near the Llama Pen and found some pottery. Um, that was is, is, that is where the pre-Islamic Christian monastery is. Um, but Sheikh Zayed knew that we did things like that. Um, and we'd occasionally find something and Nahiyan would sort of pass the information upwards. Um, it was a nice, nice occasion when uh, um, Sheikh Khalifa, this is years ago, nearly 20 years ago. Uh, they were doing some work at his uh, house on Devil Hafid and ran across a cave. And he said to Nahian, these people you know who've got something to do with natural history, can they find somebody to go, come and investigate this, this cave for me? This cave for me. So yeah, we got the call and we found some really good uh, cave geologists and good cavers. Um, and the outcome of all that now, many years later, um, is that I have on my desk a 25-minute film shot by one of BBC Wildlife's best photographers on the cave on Jebel Hafid. And if the Department of the President's Affairs don't get their act together to give it to the television very soon, I will sneak a copy here and show it. Very nice. So, you know, the, the sheikhs know that the group exists. Um, they have occasionally allowed special access. Um, and, and that's nice. I heard that the police and some forensic experts took a special interest in one of our Inter-Emirates weekends. Could you explain what happened there? So the lovely Molly, who really was, Molly was lovely, but she uh, wanted to put up a display 
at this Inter-Emirates weekend that I think was the Mafrak Hotel. And so she brought all sorts of bits and pieces, okay? Uh, bits of bone, bits of rock, bits of lizard, bits of skeletons, whatever. And there was a, this lovely, great big bone, this camel bone that she'd found in the desert. So there it was laid out. And there was a lovely guy called Khaduma Naimi, okay? And Khaduma is now a major in the police, uh, and he won a Wilfred Thesiger scholarship, no, achievement scholarship from the embassy to go and start, do his MA in forensic science uh, in the UK. Um, and he's, he's great. He's one of police's top forensic scientists. But at that stage, he was just, you know, a young, young who was a lot younger. Um, and he came along and he was looking and he said, what's that doing there? Oh, found it in the desert, says Molly. Really? Uh, did you tell anybody? No, 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 it was a, was a camel, bits of camel, I just picked it up. It's human. And Kaduma thought he probably ought to tell his senior officer that there at this natural history group in the Emirates weekend at the Maverick Hotel was a bit of an unrecorded human body. Um, and it, eventually it was all sorted out and Molly took the police out to where she found it and they found a few more bits and it was probably some, somebody who died at first in the desert, you know, decades ago, okay? Um, but, you know, if, I mean, Inter-Emirates weekends can be quite fun, and it's, and, it's, and it's good to take things to them, that, and you'll find experts there who will tell you what things are. But just, if you're taking bones, large bones, try and check before you go what they are, in case Kaduma is there, because it would really embarrass him to have to let the group off the hook twice. One of the ENHG's real legacies is Tribulus, our scientific journal. You first published in 1991, and you're currently working on volume 26. Could you tell us about the origins of Tribulus? I think 1978, probably, Bish Brown, Rob Weston thought, right, we're doing this recording, but we've got to publish it somewhere. Okay? There's no point sort of finding a first record of, you know, a black stalk for our dubby, unless somebody knows about it. So, so you, you're recording things, you're writing them down, you've got to publish something. So the group did a bulletin three times a year that was duplicated, cyclostyle. Anybody here not remember cyclostyle? Um, and it was contributions by group members and by other people we ran across, okay? Um, not literally ran across, but, you know, the people that we encountered. Um, so there's some early stuff there on, you know, for example, a coin hoard found in Russell Kamer in the late 70s. It was first published there. Um, it was then published in, you know, more professional journals later on. And towards the end of the uh, 1980s, um, you know, I started to contribute a lot more, and... Um, Bish was retiring, Rob was offshore. Um, I thought, well, we, we can do a bit more than this, okay? 
by that stage, the group had a number of members who had you know, quite considerable expertise in certain areas. Okay? But also, over the years, we, used, we would invite visiting scientists to come and talk to us. Okay? And that's how the Abu Dhabi Islands Archaeological Survey started, because Dr. Jeffrey King came to speak to us at one night, and then I took him to Nahian, and Nahian told Zaid, and you know, bang, away he went. Um, so we knew people we could ask to write. Okay? So we decided to try to turn it into a journal twice a year. Okay? Uh, which is what we did, and it was very slim to begin with. It was about, oh, 28 to 36 pages, twice a year. Okay? Um, and we did, uh, did, we did that for 17 years. Uh, at the same time, we launched the idea of a corporate membership uh, so that we could get money to pay for that. Okay? And then, after 17 years, I thought, well, this is getting a bit too much, I'm going to make it once a year instead of twice a year, but make sure uh, never to fall below what the twice a year would have been in terms of pages. In fact, it's always been a lot more than that, and I'm, I'm struggling with the cost of postage these days. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not the best thing in the world. It is peer-reviewed. But the amazing thing is that over the last 25 years, uh, you know, there's been so much that's published that is, that is quoted a lot. There's been some quite interesting material, some quite good material. Um, and I paid tribute to, to Dick, who's contributed uh, several good pieces over the years. My mainstay for the last few years has been Gary Fulner. Um, and his latest piece, together with Binish Rubus, which is a, an annotated updated checklist of the butterflies of the UAE is actually going to be so long. I said, I'm not taking it. It's going to be a standalone document. One of my favourite things about the ENHG is that it's for everyone. We're a community group and we welcome amateur nature lovers. Yet collectively, we've made some really incredible and significant discoveries over the years. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the most important discoveries? Well, there's the group, and there's mem active members of the group, and then there are things discovered during group outings, okay, um, by individual members of the group, but on a group outing. So, for example, okay, um, the uh, Christian Monastery on Sibelius group can claim credit for that because Carolyn found the pottery. There's a book coming out on Sirbanias, the monastery, and other things towards, well, end of this year, early next year. And uh, the role of the group in that discovery will be included in the book because I'm writing that section, um, which simplifies matters. Um, the, the first breeding evidence for Blackwing Stilt and Moorhen in the UAE was made on, on a group weekend on the East Coast. Okay? It's back in 1989. Um, the first, I mean, it, it was members of the group, the birding members of the group, who first identified the significance of the uh, lakes that now are the Al-Wathra Al Wetlands Reserve. And Dick will recall <coughs> when uh, some of us found, you know, the first nest, which is actually, was actually on the other side of the road from where they are now. Um, and the first evidence of breeding flamingo 
in the Arabian Peninsula since 1924, okay? Um, but, you know, that, again, was uh, a bit of chattering, a bit of connections, um, but, you know, when those lakes, Al-Wathba, got you know, officially preserved, it was because of initiatives taken by group members. In this particular case, it was the late Simon Aspinall, uh, when there was some uh, breeding attempts going on, and there was rainfall, heavy rainfall, and through a friend of his who worked for Sheikh Hamdan bin Zayed, borrowed a digger one weekend, uh, and over an Eid, actually, went up and sort of <coughs> dropped the water level by about a metre. Um, but, you know, Sheikh Hamdan said to his father, that place needs protecting. Bang. The group can claim uh, credit for having drawn attention to the significance of the area and of having got it preserved. There's archaeological sites all over the place um, that uh, have been found during the process of various group activities. Over the years, we've had some pretty good speakers, too, who do enthuse you. Okay? We had Wilfred Tessiger. And Nahian came to that meeting and chaired that meeting. I was the chairman at the group at the time. And somehow, well, I think it was probably the largest audience we'd ever had. There was probably about 180, 190 people spilling out the back. And uh, somehow word had got around that Mubarak bin London was going to be talking at the Culture Foundation. So, sitting in the front row on the left-hand side, we had a bunch of Bedou. And when I say Bedou, I don't mean your ordinary Emirati, right? Brought up in a city who wouldn't know what to do if he got a bit of sand between his toes. These were Bedou, right? And they'd, and they'd, they'd sort of come in from somewhere. And they, they couldn't understand a word of what Wilfred was saying. So we had Salam bin Kabila and Salam bin Kabesha were there, but these other Rashidis, the Rawashid. And whenever Wilfred was saying something and talked about what he'd been doing with people and uh, mentioned some of the names, these Rashidis, the Rawashid, would say, and the Rawashid, and the Rawashid. <laughs> it was lovely. But, you know, so we've had Wilfred tested That's something, right? That's really something. He was our first life member, and I'm glad to say he was able to enjoy the benefits of being a life member for about 10 years. Um, another great speaker we had was Tawahada, okay? Um, and when I was a kid, I read Aku Aku. I read Kontiki. This, this was a man who inspired me with a, a love of learning about the rest of the world, if you like. Okay. I love the history and everything else, but you know, he, he was one of my childhood heroes. Okay. And there, uh, years ago, there, was, uh, there might even be a date written in this somewhere. Yeah, March 1996. Um, and uh, anyway, there was a, the Norwegian ambassador had arranged a Norwegian food week at the Hilton, okay, 21 years ago. And uh, somehow he arranged for Tor Heyerdahl to come down. 
And he said, would you like him to speak to the group? I said, yes, please, yes, please. It isn't just amateurs. It isn't just somebody who likes to, or somebody who once you, he starts talking, you can't shut him up. Uh, it isn't just, you know, brilliant photography. You know, really good academics, people who are the top of their field. And this is the place in Abu Dhabi where they come and talk. So hang about, you know, you learn a lot over the years. So I've been tipped off to ask you about snakes in your office. What on earth was that about? One day, uh, must have been the mid-90s, somebody said, called and said, look, I've got these snakes. I've got two snakes, and I don't know what to do with them. So I asked him where they come from, and I can't remember now. I said, well, look, somebody's coming down from Alain. Um, bring him into the office, OK? So in they came with two Masafi bottles. Right? In one of them was a racer, OK? And the other was a viper, OK? Um, and uh, so that was all right, and I put them in boxes, and they were OK. Um, I had a PA uh, who was extremely tolerant and knew that you know, all sorts of things might happen in my office. She wasn't too worried about it, okay? Um, the staff outside, I did find that some of the staff preferred me to go out into the newsroom rather than to come in to see me. Um, and they were in the office for a couple of days. I did discover that you know, if you tip them on the carpet, a racer, my God, they can move fast, straight under the nearest sofa. So trying to catch the bloody thing and put it back wasn't too easy. The viper is much more laid back and moves a lot more slowly. Um, but uh, no, I, all I've got now is a bit of fossilised tree trunk. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not the same. And finally, what are you hoping to see from the group in the future? I would like to see the group engaging somehow, or group members engaging, uh, under the right circumstances, in communicating more to kids, into the schools, with the schools, okay? Um, now there are certain, and, theref and, and therefore, reaching out beyond a primarily expatriate uh, catchment. Peter, thank you so much for regaling us with those wonderful tales. And a huge thank you to all of you who are listening. If you're interested in finding out more about our organisation, including how to become a member, please check out our website, enhg.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at enhgad or on Instagram at enhg underscore abadobi. If you fancy sending us an email, our address is abudabi at enhg.org. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our wonderful patron, His Excellency Sheikh Nahyan bin Mubarak Al Nahyan, and for the generous support of our volunteer committee members, individual, family and corporate members and supporters. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.